Welcome to The Event Brew, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Welcome back. Welcome back to uh, another episode of the, the Event Brew Podcast. Um, today, it's nice. We've got a nice even split of the masculine and feminine energy in the event industry for, for once. Pretty rare. Um, I am Deanna, and I'm going to turn it over to um, one of our new co-hosts, Ariana, to introduce herself. Hey, y'all. I'm Ariana. I am stoked to be here. I like to talk about events with everyone that'll let me talk about them. And so I'm excited to be talking to other people who actually want to talk about them with me. Uh, Ariana, what are you drinking today? I am drinking, well, I'm double fisting, uh, true Ariana style. I'm doing a Hellfade kombucha and I'm doing a spinach. The uh, passion fruit tangerine. That just and sounds like a carbonated uh, delight, both in both ends. Going, I, I think what it is, millennial soda. <laughs> That's what kombucha it's is. Tricking there, your brain. <laughs> there's truly so much sugar in kombucha, and we really don't need more than an ounce of it for the probiotic benefit. This is millennial soda, and a spindrift pineapple. Nice. I like spindrift. I think they're the only ones that taste like anything. Yeah. They're the, they're the least soda-like, for sure. They definitely have their own unique flavor. Um, yeah, I, I, the pineapple is uh, a perennial favorite here. I assume that it's an island favorite, too. Uh, Nick, what, what are you drinking today? Yeah, I've got a Snapple. Nick's like, too much sugar, hold my drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, right, <laughs> right. We I'm, should put some spindrift and too much sugar, too. I'd say double Mr. Fisting. Mountain Dew I, Gatorade himself. <laughs> I've got Dream World Coca-Cola uh, or a, uh, a Snapple uh, Elements Fire. Uh, it really depends on uh, if I want fruit or uh, that, that bad burn. Uh, both are here, both are bad, and I like both. That's how I, I feel uh, like your drinks have a lot of personality. Yeah, I'll take anything that's like weird versions of like bad drinks. Um, that's something I like. I like. I would see the kombucha and be like, no. But if they had like, you know, I don't know, Dorito flavored uh, Pepsi, I'd be like, sure, let's try that. That sounds crazy. Or like Count Count Chocula flavored Sprite, and I'm like, oh, sure, let's let's take two of those. See, you like the things that are. I like to argue that those are not flavors. Like blue is not a flavor. Ocean Surfer, Capri Sun, yeah, they're personalities. Yeah. <laughs> they're definitely tests of some sort that I'm likely failing. So I'm wondering what um, Will, what your drink of choice says about your personality today. You typically have some interesting stuff too. Yeah, so I'm normally drinking chai latte. I'm out of chai latte powder. It's on my like my subscribe and save, and I think I apparently had too much this month because I ran out before it came. Um, but I, in honor of Nick, uh, I uh, got some Taco Bell for lunch. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> I got a cheesy gordita crunch, a bean and cheese burrito, a chicken chalupa, and a cheese roll-up, and a Mountain Dew. So I'm hey, just a regular Dew. old Mountain Dew, regular old Mountain Dew, and I'm just proud it's not flat this this week. There is a well, I don't know if it's trending anymore because that's how TikTok is, but there was a trending sound uh, about a woman who had pulled up in the Taco Bell drive-through and they asked what to drink, and they're like, "Woman, I'm at Taco Bell. You know what I want? Make it a Baja Blast." Baja Blast. <laughs> And this summer, they actually it. had three different flavors of Baja Blast. That's that's how far uh, gone we are. At Taco Bell, or just like uh, no, just just in general. In general, of, oh wow, a couple in my uh, Mountain Dew refrigerator. Interesting. Was one of them like Naha Blast? Baja uh, Blast? No, no. These sound, he sounds like gray Hawaiian like flavors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're based in anything uh, real. 
don't yeah. think that they're they're based on things. I feel that like are whoever chooses the chooses the Baja Blast flavors just they just take a bunch of randomness and throw it in a basket of like uh paper slip cards and then they just randomize and, and pick like that's how they determine their seasonal flavors. D, did you know like what Baja Blast actually is and that you can make it on your own for really cheap? No. Um, so this will blow your mind. I don't know if we talked about this on the show before, but it's normal Mountain Dew and blue Powerade. That's it. I'm, like it's just. I'm half so half. glad you just explained that because I'm sitting here going, "Is this a subcategory of Mountain Dew? Am I supposed to know what this is?" <laughs> yeah. I just I I figured if I listened for long enough, I'd catch on. Do they have there's Taco a lot? Bell? Do they have Taco Bell in Hawaii? We do. I just don't frequent it because there's oh. a huge line at anything convenient here. Uh. <laughs> um, you just you get used to waiting for things, and I'm too Californian still. I still can't mm. wait in line. Mm. Makes sense. Well, the the discussion on Baja Blast is actually a great transition to our topic today, and I'm sure the audience listeners are thinking, um, how? Uh, what What are you talking about? So uh, my first yeah, job, I'm also wondering how. <laughs> I know my very very first job ever was at Taco Bell, none other than no, Taco Bell, and no I was way. there when they started serving Baja Blast. I, I worked there from. 2000 to 2004. No way. So um, today we're talking about how we all got our starts in the industry. How did we get started as planners and, you know, our, our career paths, if you will. So um, it was kind of a windy road for me to Taco Bell to where I am today as a, uh, you know, program manager, content related event professional. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. I want to hear from Ariana as our newest co-host a little bit about your career journey and how you started in events. But before before Ariana goes, we we want to give a shout out to our listener who submitted the question because we love getting questions from our audience. So uh, Kelsey DeWard is the one who submitted this question. So thank you, Kelsey, for uh, this question. And Kelsey, I'm for, I'm sorry, I forgot the shout out. I'm on pain meds, so I do not <laughs> take. I don't take the blame for anything that I get wrong in my hosting abilities today. But yes, Ariana. You know, it's Friday too. I think Friday really stands in as an excuse for just about anything. So it's Friday. Uh, you know, it's so I've had wild opportunities in the last couple of years to talk about how I got into events and it still feels like a weird thing to me. Like it's very accidental. And then I hear that over and over again, other people's stories. Um, I started it. We could say my illustrious career in hospitality as a bus girl at the Lakewood Italian restaurant, where I would invite you to dip your bread into the olive oil. It was fancy olive oil with a garlic salt, Italian seasoning, balsamic. And I would ask you to rip, dip and enjoy as a part of my hosting experience. And, you know, it's like I fell into events. Um, I taught spin classes in university and they were super boring and I figured like you could make this fun because everyone glares at you with the stare of death when you're the spin instructor. And I was pretty certain everybody hated me, but they kept paying and they kept coming back. So I started to bake muffins for them. I would bring in disco balls. I like did purple lighting on the floor, trying to make it fun, make it an experience. It morphed into this whole day long thing. And it, I just have always like thrown the party. And at some point I started getting paid for that. Um, catering, I think a lot of us start in catering, feeding people is a huge basis for events. And then went into event logistics and then sort of transitioned into the trade show world, technology events. Um, most recently I'm working for a nonprofit and I'm really, really diving into event strategy and what this whole thing looks like as we move forward. Um, Cause you can't go back. And I think, it's a really interesting time in events because there's a whole industry based on being in person and there's a lot of money in it and a lot of people that were making money in it that haven't really fully transitioned to digital and need some reskilling. So it's a really wild time to be having conversations around how we gather and what it all means and, and how to make it not suck, you know, how to make online gathering more dynamic than a YouTube channel, how to make the audience a part of the experience and how to not just revert to going back to in-person with like the huge amount of waste and the huge amount of elitism that happened in most on-site conferences. Long answer. <laughs> 
Mic drop answer, Ariana. Um, I, I do need to revisit the rip, dip, and enjoy. Yes. Did yeah, rip, you rip, dip, dip, and enjoy. enjoy. Did, did you trademark that? I feel like that is definitely a trademarkable, uh, copywritten, worthy phrase. So I eventually got asked out by what was my first serious high school love based on that phrase. So it oh. opened up many great chapters in my life. <laughs> but I like to tell that story more than I like to tell the one of being a karaoke hostess um, because I opened many, many stages as karaoke Ari. And I don't sing at all, like oh, at wow. all. But the tips were so good. They were so, so excellent. So as a karaoke host, you like went on stage, you're like the MC that like then encouraged people to come and do the karaoke. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ariana. Here I'm karaoke Ari. Welcome to the Silver Cloud, where you too can be a star. Oh, yeah, I was 17. Oh, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> did, did you sing too? Because like most of the like, karaoke hosts I know that they're like, I'll break the ice and just sing the first like two songs or something like that. Would you do that too? Typically you have to, but the proprietor at this place was a man named Kitty who loved to sing Billy Ray Cyrus. So Sorry, I never had to sing. Wow. <laughs> Wait, Kitty owned the Silver Cloud? Is that am I right? He was the he was the proprietor of the Silver Cloud at the time. Um, oh. And Wait, it's huh. a, a karaoke institution in San Francisco. Wow. Is it still, it still exists? Like the Silver Silver Cloud? It still exists. Um, oh, okay. I'm Googling it. It's on Webster and Lombard. I feel like your career could have branched so many ways there because when you did your intro, I definitely got radio disc jockey vibes as well. Um, so yeah, it's interesting your career arch for sure, Ariana. Oh, there's an actual I, cloud. Sorry. There is an actual cloud. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I am such an anxious introvert that I like to throw the party rather than be at it. And so I always found that like having two clipboards and two microphones on my head, the part, the crowds just sort of part. And I always understood my role and it could, then I could be a part of big event energy without having to like be up in it. So true. So true. I was on, uh, I was a radio DJ for four, five and a half years. What, well, let's hear it. Give us, give us the art. Yeah, give it in uh, your radio yeah. voice. <laughs> yeah, give it to us in yeah. the radio voice. I, I don't know if Full I story. have a radio voice uh, as much anymore. Uh, it's been twenty years, but uh, yeah. So uh, I, I at concurrently, I, I have lose track of how many things I was doing at the same time. Uh, I was so like not sleeping. I think I, I make up for it now. I think I sleep like at least eight hours, if not you know ten, if I can get it. I'm, I, I'll take naps. Uh, but at a certain point in time, I was uh, highly caffeinated and working two or three jobs. So I have, let's see here, I've got my first job, Lanyard, which is only for visuals right here. That is me uh, at uh, my, my department is picnics. Uh, so I worked at a uh, theme park uh, in catering. Uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, called Waldemere. Uh, that was my first job I ever had. Uh, my dad had a shop picnic there, and he uh, got me a job uh, there, like washing dishes. And I eventually started working in like the food prep. Um, I was also online a lot early. This is like 1994, 1993, uh, and I was uh, getting into uh, web design. So at that point, I was also building websites, and then uh, quickly was able to find uh, a way to make some money doing that for the guy who had a had two different things he was uh he had a marketing company and he was also the dean at our uh, local college uh of um communications so uh for that i i was able to uh, work for the marketing um like do sub uh subbed out uh, web website design in addition i was also uh exposed to the college frequently and uh, in seventh grade, I started like answering the phones of the college radio station um, because they some college kid tricked me into doing it. He was like, you, you could actually answer the phones here. And he, he wasn't being paid. Uh, and I was doing work for someone who wasn't being paid. The work that he didn't want to do was really great. Uh, and then by eighth grade, I had my own uh, show. And then I had that from up to what would have been my uh, freshman year in college if I would have gone to that college. But I decided not to. Uh, that, that guy was such a gateway into not going to college uh he was like well you could go to college and we would teach you how to do the thing you've been doing for four years uh maybe but actually we don't really up to that point yet we don't really have curriculum on that um also you have access to all this stuff 
uh, and you can just hang out at the college if you want anyway. So I was like, oh, all right, I don't really need to do either of these things. I just got an apartment adjacent to the college uh, and worked uh, for his business. And then I also worked in catering the entire time. Uh, but I mean, the jobs I had in high school concurrently, because I had no less than two, uh, as many as four, uh, where I worked in an arcade, I worked at a blockbuster, uh, I, I worked for a coffee shop. Um, I, and many of these things were owned by like a person who would have like two or three different businesses. I would just like move around, uh, like some, some of the smaller businesses, but more or less my entire career I've worked in like doing like web design work, uh, and, uh, doing, uh, working in events. I eventually did, I actually did go into event logistics, um, and then the salesperson uh, at the the catering company I was working at, uh, and and venue, they they were having issues with uh, that salesperson uh, personality clashes with the owner. The owner's like, uh, the the clients have to eventually deal with you anyway, so why don't you just do the sales part too? And I started selling weddings, like in it's primarily what they sold at that venue in like two thousand four, something like that, five How and uh, early twenties. Uh, and I had to kind of like fudge it on my age because it was like, you know, really high, very, very expensive weddings. Um, that's when I, uh, found out about the international caters association because, uh, the guy that I worked for, he was on the board. Um, he was also in the culinary council board. So I met all the ICA people and I got really, really into the boards, like the message boards there, uh, while Mike Roman was running that. And then I talked to Mike Roman like once a week, he hit this thing where, Every, he was the he's the founder of uh, Cater Source. Uh, you could call him on Fridays between like certain hours, and if if anyone called him, he would just talk to you about whatever. So we would just talk, uh, and I just like absorbed and sponged so much information from him. Uh, and then he just got me into going to Cater Sources. So I started like right around that early two thousands too, uh, going to that show. Uh, and then I think I spoke there in two thousand five or six for the first time. Uh, and then I had like a good twelve or thirteen year run on that show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, it the biggest moment for me really was, um, going to that first cater store show and realizing that like, at a certain point I was like, I think I want to get out of this because, uh, I kind of plateaued and I'm like, there's not much more I can do here. This whole industry is like, I think I figured it out. It's not that I'm just not growing. And then I met people who were like 10 times better than me because they were from other markets. And like, these were the people who were like, you know, had been going to a show and learning about their craft for 20 years, you know, beyond me. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I saw the very bottom of this and thought that was the top. Uh, and that exposure and just like sitting next to those veterans who have been in the industry for like 20 plus years, it was just like not talking, getting drinks next to them and just listening to them. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's so much potential. There's so many different ways this can go. Uh, and it's also the wild west, like it's a zero barrier to entry industry. And like, it's that really begets all of its uh, worst qualities and all of its best qualities. You can make any type of role you want if you are, like stick to it. Uh, and once I you know, started seeing like all these people's really unique takes on how they made a career out of this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I want, because um, I'm not really a rule follower. Uh, same reason I didn't go to college and just did kind of whatever I wanted. Like I, I'd rather work harder doing things the way I want to do than uh, work less hard and do it in a really formal way. So I found out the event industry really helps uh, people like that. And uh, I've been doing that since and been trying to marry the digital stuff with the uh, in person and, and finding where they come together and where they uh, complement. That's an interesting um, uh note about not going to school but still finding a really um strong career in this industry which i feel like ours really lends well to that for sure um will our man of the hour uh, i feel like everyone knows your background <laughs> because it's kind of also the background of endless but yeah. go ahead and you know humor me give us how did you start in events let me try to think of, like something more unique that i haven't like really talked about um I'll give like the 30 second like high level, uh, but most if you haven't heard my story, you probably can Google it online and find more detailed version of it. But started when I was in high school, starting endless, started as a DJ um, and from DJing came an Internet radio station before that, um, which was basically my chance to like share electronic music with people. And before that, I was a web designer. Um, but, you know, really what most people don't realize, like in terms of my backstory is that like 
a lot of people know me as like a very social, high energy, on stage kind of person. I think a, the, before DJing, that didn't exist inside of Will. Like I was extremely introverted. I was very quiet. I was very nerdy. You know, like in my freshman year of high school, we had this like um, uh, guidance counselor like lounge area where like all the se- a couple of the seniors would hang out. And my friend, my sister was friends with a lot of them. So then I got introduced to them and I just like hung out there in my freshman year of high school because I didn't want to like hang out with the other freshmen and stuff like that. Rather like be in like a smaller group of people. So, um, so yeah, so like I was very, very nerdy growing up, um, similar to Nick made a lot of websites. Um, that was kind of my initial, um, you know, exposure was a lot through like building websites on the internet. And, uh, actually, um, my early career, I don't have many real jobs uh, or experiences like that uh, because I basically started this company when I was in high school. But before that, uh, that point, the only experiences I really had within like a work experience was the internet radio station, which was like a basically a donation based, you know, station. I had managed DJs. So that's how I learned time zones and stuff, which was really interesting. Um, before that point, I was building lots of websites. Um, I worked for a company called mod blog um which uh at the time was trying to be basically a competitor to live journal um this is before wordpress was everywhere it was like wordpress was like in version 0.05 or something like that in the the early thousands and um you know this is probably 2002 through 2004 2005 um and mod was like oh hey we're gonna be like live journal in the sense that like there's gonna be a larger community than just the blog that you publish and they're all you know you're able to go from mod to main mod blog and see like an aggregation of all the blogs together and there's forms and so I found these guys through another website called DeskMod, um, which again, this just starts to show you like the really nerdy side of Will is DeskMod was a passionate community of people who would post like screenshots and modifications to their Windows computers. So you do things like you want your Windows computer to look like a Mac. You would like basically use lots of different softwares and plugins and <laughs> just so much time just to make your Windows computer look like a Mac, which like I was like, you know, in middle school at the time. So I couldn't afford uh, to buy a Mac and this is bad when they were really really expensive and not everywhere like they are now and so um so i got really passionate about that and then they're like hey we're gonna launch a new website called mod blog and i was like oh i'll start up a blog on this site and it was very personal at the beginning me just sharing that sort of stuff and then i was like oh you know i'm really passionate about like sharing tech news and so like i had a very very early on uh passion to like compete against the early days of like gizmodo and and gadget and this is before now they're just gigant gigantic websites now but back then they were not as big and so we were writing about the new ipod release and things like that and that was really like my my passion for blogging that i did it so much and i changed my web design so much of my blog that they asked me they're like hey can we like you know buy some of these designs that you've done to make them templates for new users and I was like, sure. And like, we'll give you $400 per design. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I get paid for, like, this is like seventh grade will. Game paid $400 to do this. And it was just like absolutely an incredible experience for me to be able to do that. But I, this is the first time I remember they handed me a W9 and they made me sign an NDA and all these things like that. And they're like, hey, we want you to be a moderator for the community forums. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I remember like being in high school at that point. It was my freshman year. And they're like, we need you to sign an NDA. And I was like, what the hell is this? And they were just becoming like a gang investor money and all those things like that. But yeah, shouts to David Gorman and Mike Pacific are the guys' names that started that company and that that gave me a lot of experience because i was in chat rooms with much older people than me i had to learn how to be really professional you know all those things like that so i learned a lot and i grew up a lot in that kind of like four-year period of my life on irc chat rooms mod blog desk mod era of my life um because and then basically shortly after i started internet radio station then shortly after became a dj and then that's all i've known is like my life has been events essentially since that point so awesome well i hope any aspiring or new event professionals can take our stories and kind of run with the uh, potentials that you have in this industry because you know the world is your oyster um i'll give a brief kind of synopsis on how i started um i still can't believe you worked at taco bell that's amazing i did i did (laughs) and people always ask me do i still eat the food i do um there's a certain kind of freedom when you know how to order your food exactly the way you want it um so i i definitely was not what's your favorite taco bell item 
Oh, um, they don't technically have them on the menu anymore, but I still order them. It's the um, chicken nacho cheese chalupa. Um, oh, yeah, just, that thing was fire. I was, again, I was at Taco Bell. I started, I want to say they had just launched the gorditas and then the chalupas oh. came shortly after. Um, so yeah, I feel like I was there during some, I was there when they launched the quesadillas, um, the grilled stuffed burritos. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of things on the menu till today that they started when I was there. The have early you seen the, have talks. you seen the Matt TV where they're like, they're the guy's working, he's working in the, as a Taco Bell employee and he, he's like, I'm originally from Mexico. <laughs> he's like, he's like, what is a chalupa? A chalupa is not Mexican food. Right, you know? right, you know? right. <laughs> So right. if you haven't seen that one, that's a that's a really I, good one. I'll have to do a, a deep Google search uh, for that. So that was kind of high school, first job, high school. Um, and then I would work there during my breaks during college. Um, when I went to school, I was one of those undecided students. I did not know what I wanted to do at all. Um, and so I kind of decided to go for a business degree because I figured I could figure it out. And in our business program, I went to Bowling Green State University. They had a couple different... Um, specializations, if you will. You'd have a business degree, but you specialized in fill in the blank. It could be marketing, econ, finance, whatever the list goes on. Um, and they had a hospitality management program. Um, so that's kind of how I figured, one, I'd already worked in hospitality, working in fast food. I knew I was, customer service was like something I was strong in. Um, and then uh, like my sophomore, junior, senior years, I started doing um, events with some of the organizations that I was part of. So I was kind of the social chair and um, for my sorority, we did like a male pageant. Um, and I think that was kind of like when my eyes opened, like I like this and I started kind of tapping into what are events, can I make a career out of this, the set and third. Um, and then I graduated and I couldn't find a job right away. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I went to grad school, <laughs> that was a, $30,000 decision that I made in very uh, hasty conditions. Um, but in grad school, I went to Michigan State, which has an excellent hospitality program. Um, and I worked at a hotel, I worked in banquets. Um, and so working in banquets, you're always working an event, um, obviously. So that kind of gave me even more inspiration. I got to see more corporate stuff, not just the social side of events as well. Um, and yeah, while I was in grad school, I got my first uh, event position. I was a baby meeting coordinator for a trade association. Um, and it was the best first job because the events that I working, was working on were like small little seminars and I was able to holistically plan them. I was doing the contracts for them. I was doing the FMB. I managed the marketing. Um, I managed the speaker acquisition, like from, you know, start to finish, I touched every aspect. And also the culture there was very friendly for um, you to make mistakes and grow. And it was just like a really good vibe. So I'm very thankful for that first experience because I was able to get a lot of experience in a short amount of time and in a place where I could grow and not be afraid to make the mistakes. And so fast forward, I've worked in several sectors of the industry. I've worked in association. I worked on the corporate side. Um, I have been a third party planner. I did some independent contracting for about a year. Um, so that leads me to my next question. I'm going to toss it to Ariana. Like, what sectors of the industry have you worked in? And from those uh, experiences, what have been like the pros and cons? Well, like Nick, I got married uh, 200, 300 times over the course of a couple of years. Um, did a lot of very high scale weddings, uh, private galas, uh, some product launches, uh, end of life services. We did everything working in um, in private event planning and catering and also venue sales. And uh, went from there to Maker Media, worked, working the Maker Shed, which is largely experiential, but there is a big commerce element of it too. We were the sort of on-site experiential piece of the Maker Shed, which was a pretty amazing resource in its time and had a really robust community. And, and that, it was amazing being a part of like watching watching kids experience some of the like cool STEM gadgets that they'd never seen in real life before, watching people just freak out at their first like Sphero robot and getting to be the person who like brought that to them was super cool. And uh, when Maker Media started to sort of hit its, its swan dive, uh, I moved to Ultimaker because it was an open source community driven um, hardware 
company based out of Amsterdam. And I loved working. I did mostly corporate trade shows. We were breaking into the engineering sector and the dentistry center sector. But what was cool about the way we approached our our marketing campaigns there were that our community always spoke for us. So I, yes, I had to set up the booth. I had to wor worry about all the logistics, but I didn't have to be the face of the product because the community was there to do that. And this was such a passionate community that like a couple of Uber blacks and some good food and some fancy hotel rooms. And like, I had these guys selling my stuff all day long in a way that was so much more real than I could have ever done it. And from there, I did a bunch of independent contracting, tried to figure out, I, I didn't want to travel so much and I really wanted to work I wanted to work on something more than once and I wanted to be able to like iterate year over year and have some prior year data and have some deeper relationships. So I'm now with a group women in product and we produce events for women technologists, but they're again, like so community driven that I feel like the problems that I bring to the table are very different than the problems that a lot of, a lot of other folks bring to the table. Like selling tickets is not a problem. Um, sponsorship is not a problem. It's about really, creating meaningful engagements between these groups. And it's about being something that people, that's really industry differentiating because the community I serve, women in product, a lot of them are like often either the only woman on the team, they might be the only PM there if it's a startup. And being able to create pure driven resources has like fueled all of our events. And I just, I love that I never feel, I don't know, I'm not, selling anything. I'm just creating like spaces for things to happen. But all of the magic comes from the people in those spaces that are, you know, that are speaking on their what they've learned or, you know, or bringing their new opportunities to the table. And, and I so I think of myself in digital space and in physical space as like a container builder, sort of, and it's my job to sort of be invisible, but help create this container and teach people how to navigate through it. Mm. That's awesome. What about you, Nick? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've uh, I've bounced around a lot as far as like the the roles that I've had. Uh, I've I, I spent quite uh, quite a bit of time in in venues, catering, and uh, hospitality, uh, and then uh, from that, uh, I had an opportunity uh, to join an event entertainment company uh, called Rock the House, uh, which was like so different for me because I was like, uh, all right, uh, I'm the last person that should be in an event entertainment company. Uh, there's Shout a whole out energy. To, uh, Northeast Ohio there. Rock the house. Yeah. Yeah. I was their first marketing director uh, at the time. They, they bought two other uh, entertainment companies. So they were managing um, three brands uh, simultaneously, like in the same uh, spaces. So um, I was having to create like for a, a bridal show, like three booths uh, with three different, uh, you know, collateral, three different designs, uh, just uh, three different social media platforms, three different emails, like the whole everything as a one man show uh, for all these brands to give the market a perception that they had choice when really it was all just going one direction. Uh, so that was an interesting awesome. like thing to try i was like really like i got to a certain point where i was like i didn't really wasn't really that interested in in kind of marketing what i was <laughs> yeah no no it, no it was the challenge no no that that i liked actually I, I could care less about like the the party motivators and how to sell those and stuff like that i was like oh boy it's not my thing uh but i was really interested in the challenge of like any there was all these other sub brands too like uh, this huge teen dance party thing in the summer, which Will and I have talked about, where <laughs> yeah. um, we'd get like 2,000 <laughs> kids to come to like these foam parties. And and I was like, all right, I, I am way out of my element. Like I, I had been doing the same kind of marketing for so many years that it was just a stretch. How, how old and, were you at this point? Oh, uh, no, I, now I'm old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah so, so that, that's the weird thing creepy. too. About, like, <laughs> now, there's a, yeah, that's now a similar like, part like of my 30. journey too. Like once I got started to get older, like when I was like just out of college, you feel oh, like, oh yeah, this is like, I was just this age. It's totally good. I'm, and then I started getting older. I realized I was becoming the per people the I was making fun yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry. DJs. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely, you hit your nail, nail on the head. Uh, event uh, entertainment. That's actually a good segue. Uh, event entertainment is definitely an industry where if you're not, um young it's gross after a certain period of time like mm -hmm. it, like no one wants to hire like a 50 or 60 year I mean, shout out to my 50 and 60 year olds who are fooling themselves uh <laughs> in the in, that are wedding djs so, like some of them can maybe like every market actually can i think hold like one 
who's just super classy and like really great. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's just big like the ones that try to be cool, like they're 20 year olds and they're 50. You're like, oh, boy. Uh, so like <laughs> that's what this guy's whole bag was, is like when somebody new came up, he would buy them, roll keep their company whole. Uh, but, you know, portray it as like it was a separate brand. Um, but, yeah, I was like uh, <laughs> I had a separate social media account that was created that was like some like, you know, young person that I had to pretend to be. It was that like skeevy. Uh, but like <laughs> there was so much going on with that brand that it was just like, all right, you know, this is something that I was getting bored really quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was not boring because there were so many things to do. And then I, I got from that to um, a an audiovisual company that was like, all right, great. This is a corporate AV. Uh, it's really uh, like more of a mature business mindset, let's say. And he also owned a trade show company that did these trade shows all over the world, including uh, events alongside CES, uh, uh, Mobile World Congress, IFA Berlin, Computech in Taipei, um, WWDC in San Francisco. So I got to like go to all these really cool shows and like work on events associated with, with that. And I was like, all right, that's my next level of like, where do I go from there? And then with that, even that got me bored after a certain period of time. So I was like negotiating instead of money, uh, less time in the office. Uh, and, uh, and eventually I was down to like two and a half days in the office and that was it. And then uh, I was doing like enough of my freelance stuff. And then eventually I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to do my own thing. And I had a consultancy uh, for uh, a number of years where uh, I was working on event strategies uh, for organizations and event marketing for uh, event uh, uh, supply companies, uh, primarily in the technology area. And uh, that's what I did up until I took this job with All Seated, uh, which I helped them as a, con- as a consultant client uh, to... Uh, work on the development of their or their 3d platform and now i'm i'm doing that but in, in this kind of metaverse direction so i have the opportunity to do a lot of like uh speaking on behalf of like uh, metaverse topics and then i get to do a lot of analyst work where i get to read a lot of reports and interface with analysts at gartner uh, and then disseminate information internally uh, with this organization so i'm just basically in-house consulting um and uh and then you know i was a speaker before and now i'm in-house speaker <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it, it really is like, uh, it's funny, like you, you add up everything that you've done and what's cool about it is eventually if you move around enough and if you listen and you pay attention, you end up getting this like 360 degree point of view that I think that if, it, whether you work for all these different types of businesses or not, um, what people with experience in the events industry offer, uh, is that everything in events is inherently collaborative. Like no one puts on an event themselves. Uh, it's always a team sport. And if you have empathy and understanding for other people on your team, you're, you just get better at it. And it's one of those things where not only do I literally believe in mentorship as a way to get uh, into the events industry. I mean, I, I didn't go to college, so it was all pure mentorship for me. Um, but it's ongoing, uh, but really it's about being the best team player you can be. And the more experience you have, like you will just get better. Like if you, if you want Mm -hmm. to get better and you put the time in, um, it not the bet, you don't get smarter necessarily. You don't get, uh, you know, like things don't get easier. What, what happens is that you just have a better understanding of the peripheral, uh, which was magic before and then eventually becomes science. So, uh, that's the one thing I would say is if you have any opportunity and uh, here, if you're looking at your career, uh, go somewhere to the left or the right of what you're doing, and you'll find out that it will pay dividends over time, regardless of where you end up. Mm. Quick aside, segue, when you talked about um, consulting and independent contracting, I think it's a really good reminder to folks um, because I've seen a lot of people going either way, leaving full-time work and consulting leaving consulting and going back to full-time work, that can be a pit stop. It can be a destination. It can be a start to your journey. Um, I think some people are scared to start it, thinking that you're you know, throwing everything away to start this business, that you have to jump all in and you can never go back to full-time work and vice versa. Um, I think both have a equal impact on your career in different ways. Um, Being an external third party gives you insight that you don't get as an internal event professional and vice versa. So if anyone's considering doing one or the other, whether leaving full-time employment to consult or leaving consulting to go back to full-time employment, 
I say here, here, I'm all for it because I think, you know, uh, uh, Nick and I both have that similar experience of taking some time and being a loan shark and then coming back to full-time work as an employee and they're all good choices. Um, Will, uh, of the group, you're, you're probably the, it's interesting because um, sector-wise, you've always been in events. You've oh, always yeah. been, you know, third party. However, yeah. all of your clients, I'm sure, run the gamut. So any oh, yeah. thoughts there on like the diversity of clients and projects and events you've done? Yeah. Um, uh, before I jump into like, yeah, all the different crap I've done, because there's, there's so much. Um, I definitely agree with Nick too. One 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 tip I'd give for people is that like, for me in my career, I guess not tip, but I the, this is my experience I've seen is like once I start to feel at the point where I feel like I'm learned, I've known everything, and I feel like I'm not really growing anymore. It usually means like there's something's kind of got to change in a lot of ways. So like that's one reason why you'll see when I talk about all the sectors that I've been in, a lot of reasons why I pivoted into you know, court from, from court social to corporate, all these things like that, you know, from DJing to production is because like, I felt I reached kind of the top of my game in a lot of ways. And that sounds kind of egotistical, but you know, like at certain point hitting the top of being, being a really good DJ is not really hard to do. Uh, so, um, so I think that's people one thing want to have too. fun. I mean, that's one of yeah, those things it, where yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the deck stacked in your favor. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I yeah, I get sure. what you mean as far as personal challenges. Like the, there's no like best DJ in the world, but there's a point yeah. where you're like, I'm the best I can be at yeah. this, and then and then it's like, all right, well, I want to be the best at something else. Yeah, you get you get kind of bored of it. Yeah, so I so for me, um, yeah, so it started off as like DJing, started off doing electronic music in my bedroom, live streaming. So that's where I learned a lot of like the basic skills of DJing, how to keep a flow, you know, like you have the most critical electronic music listeners online listening to you and critiquing. I remember the first time I ever DJ, I got absolutely slaughtered in the chat um, for, for sucking. So like it made me a lot better of a DJ from that point. Um, and that I stumbled into the actual like events events um, when someone asked me to DJ at Backyard Party. And I had no interest in doing it because I was like, I'm a terrible DJ. I could never do this. I don't know what kind of music you guys listen to in high school. I listened to like drum and bass which now is popular which is so weird um and so i started doing that for a while started doing you know my high school's dances then i started doing all these middle school dances and kind of for me it was like oh hey like i want a new challenge i started doing a couple events here and there I was getting starting to pay a little bit of money i was like i want the challenge of figuring out how to set up a bit what a business is i'll set up a website a brand name and i'll start to see if i can get paid more money it was like not necessarily the the, the desire to like make more money but it was just a desire to see like could i get someone to pay more money than i they had paid before could I make this like legit? Uh, and could I use this also this money to buy equipment, which is what I started then getting passionate about was like, oh, I want new lights. I want a new speaker system. I want a new wire. I want to go from a wired microphone to a wireless microphone so I can walk around, you know, like, oh, I want a professional case for my gear. So I look even more professional. It was like always this desire to kind of like explore all this like all this stuff that was cool that to me in guitar center you know um so that was for me doing that and then when i got out of high school and got to college i was djing a lot you know at this point arizona pro djs was the name of the company and it started popping off in a lot of ways um and i started djing like seven days a week and i was really good at what i did because a because a lot of people wanted me um, but also too that like i knew that the formula i knew this perfect formula of music to like kick it off i was like I know I just figured that I'd, I'd kind of mastered it then at that point. And that was the first time I got like that, that crossroads that burnt out point where I was like, I've learned everything I need to learn. And Were you a single I was up? Yeah. See, I was doing, well, no, actually. So I was single op until college. The first day of college when I was supposed to move in my dorm, I, a couple days before that, when I was the summer leading up to it, another ASU event asked me to DJ the same day, same time I needed to DJ another event. And I was like, Holy shit. And I'd read. I don't want to say no to money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to say no to money. And, you know, at the time I was on this DJ forums called, ironically, I think DJ chat was what it was called. And, you know, it was very creative uh, for me. But those guys like helped me learn so much. And everyone had like the multi-op, which is multi-operator, meaning two DJs, same same time. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want to say no to this. And these people were, yeah, like ready to say, like, let's do this right now. And I was like, okay, well, or I think I might have even been dumb enough that I just said yes and had them sign the contract. And I was like, oh, shit, this is the same day as the other event. And so luckily, that's how I found my my uh, Damien, DJ Hazardous, who was my first ever, you know, other DJ. Um, and yeah, I basically started DJing like a lot and, you know, I was making like massive money. I may have been lucky if I was making $30,000 a year in terms of like, you know, top line DJ stuff. But for me, I was in college and, you know, was having a great time doing it. 
but I got burnt. I got really burnt out DJing it. And at that time, I saw Boom Entertainment over in Chicago doing these like massive high school dances with like lasers, drummers, like concert line arrays, three thousand kids in a field room. And this was the kind of stuff that I was like, holy crap! I was like, that's amazing. And like, I you know the Super Bowl came to Arizona, Phoenix, um, Phoenix, Arizona at that time. And so I was like, oh, I'd love to do an event at the Super Bowl. That'd be so cool. And you know, I started seeing all these production companies like come in and do this awesome stuff. And I was like, man, I want to do this, but you know, it'd be cool to do this. And like by the time I'm like 40 or something like that. So I like set a goal by the time I graduated from college, I was like, I want to do one of these large scale events. And at that time I was starting to do like, I was still doing a lot of middle school dances, a lot of backyard parties. I'd printed everything except weddings. I said hell no to weddings. In fact, to this day, I have only ever executed and worked one wedding ever. You're um, a smart was, man. You're a very <laughs> smart man. That's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I just like didn't. I was af- I was afraid I'd screw it up because I'd screwed up like basic events before, which everybody screws up. If you don't screw up, you're not trying. You're not trying to push your house hard enough. So I was like afraid I was gonna screw up something's way. But also too, I was like, you know, I I started learning about like niches and things like that. So I was like, I'm gonna focus on teen events. I'm really good. I'm just out of high school. Like it was really easy for me to sell these teen events because I was like, look, I'm a year older than your son. You think you, you think the other DJs are gonna understand your son and what kind of music he likes better than me? Good luck. Um, and so. I basically started doing all that sort of stuff, started doing then these massive high school dances because I stole the idea for movement entertainment in Chicago when I was getting burnt out and started just like marketing it and like telling every high school. Before I knew it, I was doing so many high school dances. And like to like Nick's point, like you basically get this point where like I was able to use my youth and like I was bud and my company was just buddy up. So I was like extremely aggressive, um, extremely, um, you know, innovative too. like we were bringing in video DJing when video DJing wasn't a big thing. Like we were bringing in these giant productions, which no one had ever seen before. And, you know, I was, you know, it was really, really working. Um, but then, you know, I did that for about like three years or so, and we hit like 75% of the Arizona market. And that's really where I got stuck is that, you know, I built this niche within college and high school dances, which I did really, really well, but I had no idea how to like move outside of Arizona, like how to like do events outside of Arizona. We'd start getting some stuff like I DJed at the X Games and like we'd start getting asked to do dances like out outside of Arizona. And we start doing like uh, another thing that really helped me is I also started doing a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs, which is where I realized there was really good money in social. And for the bar and bat mitzvahs were good because it was like, a little bit like the wedding where there's like the personal element of things. Um, but what was nice about it is that I eventually got asked to do a bar mitzvah in Texas because they attended a bar mitzvah in Arizona. They're like, we got to have you. We don't have anyone else like this in El Paso. So I started do, like first time I ever got asked to do an event. We had haul the equipment. And luckily, it was like within a six hour drive of Phoenix. But, you know, it was still within that like teen niche that I was trying to do. But Simkas, just... by the way, like bar bar mitzvahs, are, they're Simkas. They're, they're infinitely better for entertainment uh, than uh, uh, weddings. For venues, they want the weddings because uh, everyone who's coming is an adult and they buy an adult meal and they buy alcohol. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in entertainment, uh, it's a competitive landscape where they actually bring people in and the entertainment is makes or breaks it at, at a high level because the person being honored cares way more about uh, the entertainment than they do the nuggies they're going to be eating. Uh, yeah. so like it, it's 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 a completely different world but like usually the ticket like in every place i've ever worked that's been because i worked at a kosher caterer i went from a kosher caterer to working for an entertainment company that primarily didn't borrow about mitzvahs and uh the ticket price is about double too uh so oh, i didn't like, think about that and yeah. here, here's the biggest difference is that a wedding uh it's put it's being put on by a bunch of different concerns who have been forced to come together uh and to put on an event that they have no idea and it's outside of their scale and their scope uh and a um uh a simca is put on uh, by people who had 13 years to prepare for this event. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's one other difference. Pretty, a wedding, a wedding, people are really convinced that this is, there are two people in the room that are convinced that this is the most important day of their life. And if anything goes wrong, (laughs) and you know, and I, I, I got to the point where I aged myself to the point of being older than most of my brides and grooms. And I could say, you guys, I, this is a big party. But I promise you that as a couple, you're going to have far more important days in your life. Yeah, (laughs) that was probably the reason I never did the the weddings was because like I just felt there was this pressure that like did like just felt like it wasn't really there. Um, So smart. 
Well, what's interesting is like the transition outside of the high schools is like what I started feeling this really weird thing that because I started hitting like monopoly level, like in terms of 75% of the market owned by by us and doing every dance. Even though we were so good at what we did, we were still had clients that were we were losing. We'd like lose it, like oh, we decided to go with a different company. We just wanted to try something different, and I realized there was this component of kids planning it, and that was the interesting thing. Was like I think where I mastered it was I could balance the kids and like the chaperone, the the like the the student council leader, and so I could be professional to the adults, but then be like a kid to the kids at the exact same time. And I knew like how to like sneak in like like slang and language that didn't make the adult feel too old. Anyways, but that's like your personality wrapped in like one sentiment <laughs> like i could be an adult to the adults and the kids to the kids that yeah, is yeah. Will Kern, 101. <laughs> i love that um <laughs> damn that's a really good point um and so like the thing that kind of sucked though was that like i started doing a little bit of corporate work that like for people who wanted that like youth experience and i started working with only adults and was like oh you make logical decisions based on budget and quality and the conversations that we have whereas like with these high school kids they'd be like yeah we just we've had you for three years we want to try something different even though they would do that and then immediately come back or they would have their ticket sales would go down whatever it was there was no logic and that was the thing that as i started becoming a mature business person i just couldn't deal with like the emotional side i wanted pure logic i wanted to like hey i'm better than all these people like choose me you know um so we so i luckily got to like the break into corporate um through two ways one was a lot of nonprofit stuff which i think is how a lot of people go from social to corporate because it's like you kind of like get the 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 budget concerns of the social side like that you can be a little bit like not as new because they got to save money so they're willing to risk things but then at the same time too that you could start to like you get those experiences of doing stuff in ballrooms rather than out in someone's backyard and that sort of thing. Um, so start doing a lot of nonprofit stuff. And then, you know, from there, like pivoted and use the nonprofit experience to like start going towards corporate and, you know, um, you know, stuff like the comic cons was really, really good for us because like that was a real big break for us to start doing like large scale kind of corporate style events where breakout rooms, general sessions, all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think like yeah, if there's anything I haven't really done. Um, I didn't. I've never. I don't really do incentive stuff. So as a planner, like you know, like the idea of small groups and then like flying them somewhere to do a small meeting. I don't really do that stuff. I've kind of like gone for like always been larger audience stuff. Not that like we don't have clients who have 50 person meetings and things like that now, but like incentives is something that I've never done and weddings is something that I've never really done before. Um, but I've literally set up giant festival stages, worked festivals, done all the outdoor stuff before that. And that was something I learned too. When I started doing production, we started getting asked to do a lot of outdoor stuff. And that's when I learned really quickly. I was like, you know, you do one event in July outdoors in Phoenix, you're like, cool. I never want to do this ever again in my life. So, so as soon as I start getting put in ballrooms and air conditioning and, you know, traveling across the country, it, it, I think it really, really helped um, a ton. And I guess because someone that I left that kind of like a vague opening was how we started getting outside of Arizona was, you know, honestly, a lot of the content marketing stuff that we have to we start writing this content. And honestly, like we were barely breaking outside of Arizona at that point. But then when we started writing content, it was so location agnostic that we started getting leads all over the country. And it really, really helped us a ton. Just so. a nice little plug there for event professionals to have a content marketing strategy, especially yeah. if you're third party. Um, we have been chatty Cathy's today, um, so we've got Ooh. time for one quick question. And I'm going to give you all two sentences, 30 sentence, 30 seconds max to answer it. Um, one, I think it'd be really cool if we added up all of our years of experience and have a nice stat for the end of this episode. So let us know how many years you've been working in events. And then two... If you could give your baby event professional self um, one note of advice or something you wish you knew back then, what would it be in two sentences or less? I'm going to start with Nick. Jeez, uh, so like 25 years, uh, which is absurd if you count, I mean, all the events I worked at in high school. Um or catering companies. Uh, and uh, if I would tell myself anything, it would be that uh, try things uh, before you figure it out um, and just be willing to do the work. Don't don't be gun shy on thinking that you're not ready for something. Uh, you will uh, you'll put the work in. You're actually you're more likely to put in more work with a deadline of having to figure something out 
than you would uh, if you methodically build yourself up to a position where you're saying, okay, now in three years, I'll be ready to do this. Just do it. Um, probably what I would say. Awesome. Will, two sentences. Um, Clearly, I want to end with female voices. <laughs> I love it. Um, 15 years I've been doing this. I might be the one who has the least amount of experience in this group, which is uh, funny. Um, How old are you? Uh, I'm 32. I turned 33 in like a week. Don't yeah, talk to so me. When you're 41, <laughs> like me, uh, then you'll be uh, you'll have more than me. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, let's see here. Um, best advice I'd have for a newbie event professional. Um, you know, probably the best thing that I ever did was the all just putting myself out there on content. You know, like I didn't really think I was the smartest event professional when uh, I remember Melanie from Event Planning Group and I was like, hey, I saw like some of your blog posts about AV and I want you to come talk about AV on my, you know, Event Planning Group video. And I talked and these videos are still on YouTube. You can watch them. I was so nervous. I had no idea what I said. I had no talking points. She just asked me questions and I had answers. And, you know, that was so good for me because it allowed me to put myself out there and it also allowed me to you know, start to gain notoriety and build like that self brand. And that's been the best thing possible. Like all the podcasts, all the blog posts we've ever done. It's got me more speaking engagements. And I think it's what's really given me some like roots in this industry and some authority in what I'm talking about. And, you know, I know today that if, you know, I were to pivot from corporate to weddings or whatever the heck it may be, or if I would go into just purely consulting, whatever the heck it may be, I know that the content would help allow solidify me as that and it's what's given me more also uh notoriety across the country so i know that if i didn't ever want to i wanted to leave arizona and go somewhere else i know that i could easily pick up and start working anywhere in the country um, versus just being only known in my local market well i just thought of um the little tiktok sound yes i'm a tiktoker i'm just a baby uh you just of the of the panel today you're just a baby just a baby um yeah for me it's been about 15 years professionally if you count um unprofessionally closer to 19. um so uh yeah i would say for baby deanna baby meeting professional deanna it's um being more intentional about networking sooner because I'm so new to it and the leaps and bounds it has done for my career in the past two to three years. If I had started that at 24, 25, like the connections and I'm sure mentors that I would have is just like mind blowing. So I'm gonna turn it over to Ariana so we can close on some feminine energy. What uh, would be your advice for your baby meeting event planner self? And how I'm many gonna years? Do my I'm going to do my best. I'll do my best to bring the feminine energy. Half the time I like have the most <laughs> testosterone in the room and I'm like the one offering to arm wrestle. But I, uh, I've been doing this for about 23 years in some capacity and that is mind blowing to me. But I'm also an old person. So time just kind of adds up. Um, and, you know, it's like I've heard a lot of you guys echo this today and I've thought about it a lot recently, but like everything kind of makes sense in the end in events if you touch enough aspects of this and and you you just keep pushing the envelope and being really willing to learn like you know some really weird stuff too like i know some stuff that is not useful to me anymore like you can comfortably sit eight adults at a 120 inch table but you do not want to sit 10 no matter what the venue tells you uh, i need one uh, server for every nine people in seated dinner like you, you start to know a lot of useless stuff but it all kind of makes sense at some future point when when somebody needs you because this is a collaborative effort and like somebody's not going to show and one of your weird scooby skills is going to turn out to be super helpful and and being willing to work collaboratively but also just being willing to figure it out has been like my superpower is that like events are about people at the end of the day events are about humans and human behavior is not predictable it's not rational and so I think being able to being really obsessed with with the customer experience with the client with the person whether that's on site or online and really really anticipating need and trying to help people feel like they understand how to navigate a space and so I think that like if you're interested in being in events and you think this is something that you might want to try I can tell you that I hate events and I love events and I can't get away from events and they're a horrible addiction but the 
high of bringing humans together in a way that like is an experience is makes all of this like super painful parts of doing this totally worth it. You get that like euphoric recall, you forget all of the pain points and you're like, oh, I love this. I'm going to do this again. So here I am still doing this. But also that like all you really have to do is care about people and care about the human experience and like want the human experience that you're helping foster to not suck and you'll figure the rest of it out. Here, here. I, I totally resonate with that, Kelsey. I When I left my job last year, it was because I was not sure if I wanted to work in events any longer. I did some contracting, consulting, and it solidified that this is like the industry for me. So thanks for that. We can't Note, get out. No, no. It's uh, I'm the lifer. And, you know, I'm just I've just embraced that fact at this point. I want to thank uh, Kelsey DeWard. Thank you for that question. You let us share our stories and kind of do um, some uh, nostalgia type thinking and, and all that jazz. So thank you, Kelsey. If you have a question for the Event Brew crew, please email us eventbrew at helloendless.com. Um, and you might hear your question on a future episode. Um, also, feel free to just email us your thoughts, your feedback. If you're listening to the show, be sure to share it with others. With that, we will see you or talk to you on the next episode of Event Brew. Thanks again for listening to Event Brew. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head over to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or tell us what topics you want to hear covered. See you next time on Event Brew.